Welcome to another episode of Awe and Wonder Podcast. This series is all about literacy. I'm Sarah Kinsella. And I'm Brenda Del Monte. And we're here with Sharon Redman. And we're so excited to talk to you, Sharon, about all of your experiences in your classroom with literacy and your students. So if you don't mind starting just by introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about um, what you what you do, what you've been doing in the past several years with your class. Sure. Yeah, so um, I am a special education teacher by trade. So I started when uh, back in the early 90s, <laughs> I'm dating myself, um, with uh, er, in early childhood, so early childhood special education. So I have an elementary ed um, major undergrad and a special education major undergrad. So okay. um, I felt like that really was uh a really good foundation as far as um, getting ready for this journey that I've been on um, with literacy over the past Mm -hmm. 20 years. Um, So I uh, was also, I consider myself a Wadi baby. So I was right in during um, Wadi, which is the Wisconsin Assistive Technology that was out of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And um, so was part of that leadership committee and started in assistive technology. And I had, and we'll probably talk a little bit about this, but a love for assistive technology very, very early on. Um, and, and really based on my own experiences in use with assistive technology and also my sisters. And so, um, so started with Wadi, which was such an amazing experience to be in Wisconsin. And during all of that work that, um, you know, I feel like I helped contribute like a little, you know, little sliver um, to, and then, you know, life gets busy and I had babies. And so it took some time off. And, uh, and then we came to Washington State. And that's where, you know, where I'm at right now and started working as um, got my master's um, in assistive technology through St. Norbert College in De Pere, Wisconsin. Uh, and then started as an assistive technology specialist for the Lake Stevens School District. And then life got busy again and took mm-hmm. us overseas. And oh. we, uh, I taught, yeah, I taught in um, Minsk, Belarus uh, for two years, which is wow. in yeah, central or Eastern Europe. And then um, in Central Asia in Ashgabat, Turkmenistan. Mm-hmm. And there I... I was, I taught gen ed, well, actually in Belarus, I taught everything from preschool library to high school journalism. So I kind of taught everything in between and Mm -hmm. then also had a couple students that um, came to us that were um, needing some extra support. So I was able to provide that um, Mm -hmm. and then taught kindergarten in Ashgabat and realized I used most of my um, special education background and pedagogy that I was uh, when I was teaching. And then we came back to um, the States and we've been here ever since. And, um, you know, when I got the, the Bible of literacy, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. Like it's all marked up and pigtailed and stuff. Um, for the, let me just really started. And if you're listening, sure, I'll interrupt you for those who are listening and you can't see yeah. the um, visual, she just held up oh. the comprehensive literacy for all book. Um, we record this yes. uh, on YouTube, you guys. And so sometimes we forget that we're showing visual aids. So we just want to be sure the audio, the audio yeah. only listener knows what she just pulled out. So I got the book when that came out and started that process right away um, and did it all myself, reading through the chapters and then trying to implement. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that, um, but have really been in this field of assistive technology and AAC, um, most of the students, other than that short little stint when we were overseas, but most of the students that I work with um, have complex communication needs and complex bodies. And so I really, um, you know, with the pendulum of education that swings and, you know, trying to figure out um, how to best reach my students and best teach them, um, you know, Karen Erickson and David Copenhaver's book, really, that was kind of a pivotal point for me in my teaching as mm-hmm. we went through. So I'm excited to be here to be able to talk about what that journey has looked like for me and all the mistakes that I've made 
And some of the things that I've been able to like, okay, I think that's a right, I'm on the right track there. Oh, oh yeah. It's a learning experience forever, right? (laughs) It is. It is. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that, um, I see myself as a continual learner and, um, and I, you know, I don't take too much, like, I mean, I'll pat myself on the back for, you know, doing a good job, but I also understand that there's so much more that mm-hmm. I need to learn and yeah. continuing on and, um, making mistakes and then reflecting on them and, um, looking at back at that. I, I have so much video of, you know, cause I do a lot of, um, do a lot of webinars and things like that, um, and uh, presentations. And so I like to have like real examples. Mm -hmm. And so I have more video of me actually like doing it wrong than I have video of doing it right. So many times I'm like, oh, that's perfect video. And actually I was doing a podcast for sets, um, on uh, emergent literacy. And I had this video and I was showing about how like, you know, um, part of car in the crowd and the, in the commenting part and the um, part of crowd, I can't remember which one it was. Um, and then I was watching it as I, during the podcast and I was like, oh, I had to stop right through it and say, okay, just wait a minute. We need to back up a second and take a relook at that. And this is a great opportunity to say like, mistakes happen. And then now let's fast forward to when I actually caught myself and then when I actually did it right. 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 You know, I think that that that's so critical. I think that so many people that are um, newer in the field are so afraid to make a mistake. So afraid not to be perfect at their jobs that they're not taking the risks that need to be taken. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's so great for um, all of us to model and talk about. And then I was doing that wrong. And then I simulated all my books. I did that for a while and then learned that that wasn't right. And I took all those out like, you know, like no better, do better. And and just that that, that this is part of the process. But I Mm want to start with... um, is there a particular student, and, and whenever we ask this question, everyone says, there's so too many to tell, but is there a particular student that comes to mind that just blew your socks off when it comes to the literacy skills or someone who made you realize that all students need opportunity for literacy instruction? There's usually a few that just kind of smack you in the face when you look back at your career and go, man, that kid ended up being so, so smart, so much smarter than I realized. And I, I'm so glad I finally clued in that he could should can read however that work goes do you do you have um, a student that you could um talk about that was pivotal for you in regards to AAC and literacy well sure I have I kind of see that as like two parts and when I was thinking about this question I really like part of why I got into assistive technology and then later on into AAC was really, I think about myself. So I'm dyslexic. And so, uh, so both of my sisters. And um, when I think about like, how important education is in general for our students, and um, how important it is to be part of that literacy. I, I mean, I think of my sister, I was having a conversation with her the other day. And when she was she was born in 1973 when PL94142 came out like pivotal talk about pivotal for our family and my my sister um when she was born you know was non-speaking um, had a lot of physical difficulties and you know the doctors at the time told my parents like you should put her in an institution and my mom just said no that's just not happening and early intervention started with her and um all the assistive technologies that you know we didn't even really know we didn't call it assistive right. technology then but mm-hmm. the literacy instruction that she got and also me that i received um was so critical in our family um and in my life and in her life. And she has a master's degree, has worked for Yale University as a social worker, runs her own business now. And so when I think of like, just that 
if my mom would not have realized the potential that my sister had, um, and even the potential in myself, um, we would be in a much different place right now. And, um, you know, my sister now is, um, a certified, uh, uh, family counselor and child counseling. She's worked for Yale University. She has her master's degree. She's brilliant. And um, I just really come back to it becomes personal for me when I think of what is lit- what's the importance for literacy for people. Mm-hmm. And that just for everyone, for all is just so meaningful. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of a, a global and really personal piece. But so then the second part of your question of like those students or that one student, and you're right, there's never one, right? They are, there's so many. And, you know, I started out in early childhood and I feel like early childhood special education, it's easy to bring literacy in. Go dog go is for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just natural and it's easy. And I think, um, I think for, for, you know, educators that are in that early childhood realm, that was a perfect place for me to be and being able to bring in AAC, bring in literacy, it just all flowed so naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, now we don't symbolize text anymore, but I used to do that. So, you know, but um, it just was, that was, that was easy, is easy mm-hmm. transition for me to start that this kind of literacy journey. And then going into elementary and middle school, that's really where I have found the students that have been, um, that have really been that pivotal piece for me. And that, that those kids that, um, that really, uh, have made their mark on my learning. But I would have to say that there's, there's one student in particular, but before I talk about her, um, I want to say that one of the things that I have found with like in all the classrooms, because we move a lot, my superintendent of schools. So that's a three to five year kind of thing. So we, mm. we kind of do the district shuffle. And so I tend to come into classrooms um, that have had difficulties um, and have had um, a hard time bringing in that literacy in that elementary K-5 and then middle school setting. So I've mm-hmm. seen a lot of um, students that when I come to the table and we come in and we start this literacy journey, that they've never been exposed to this. Mm-hmm. They've not been exposed to a classroom setting where we're talking about comprehension, where we're talking about self-directed reading, where we're talking about and doing word study. They're a little used to word study, but that's flashcards and sight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? right. That is what they're right. good at. Independent desk Independent desk work. That's what, yeah. mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. their parents are. That's what everybody is like, all right, let's go. And I come in and shake it up and say, we're not doing that. And everybody's like, oh what's happening and they get scared. So, um, you know, and then writing, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, when we talk about writing in our students with complex bodies and complex communication needs, most of the students that I have taught have never experienced that. And so I find that I have to, um, the students that have, um, really made that impact is when I've had to go back and teach them how to be learners within literacy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that I often get, and I'm sure you guys do too, when you do a podcast or when you do not the podcast, but when you do a webinar, you always get someone that said, well, this wouldn't work. My kids are too low or mm-hmm. my kids are, my kids are too disabled. And, right. and I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I think what you're saying is that your, your students aren't ready or they don't have the behaviors on how to be a learner when it comes to literacy um, and writing. And so we have to teach that. We have to, we have to teach that. And I think there's a lot to what goes into that. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about presumed potential, which talked a little bit, but strength-based learning, all those things. Um, but then to get into the specific kiddo. So my specific kid. Um, little girl, uh, Callie, and she has Rett syndrome. And when I found out she was coming to me, I just got excited because mm-hmm. it was my first opportunity to work with a kiddo with Rhett. And 
um, non-speaking, um, complex body, and uh, had never been exposed to any sort of literacy. Hadn't ha didn't have any access at all. Um, did didn't have um, a yes no. And she was to. about how old, Sharon? Um, when I first started working with her, I was teaching um, first grade through fifth. Um, but when she came in, they put her on my caseload just um, because of uh, because of because of what I'm able to do, mm -hmm. and they just thought it would be a better fit for her to be on my caseload. And so she was um, in kindergarten, mm -hmm. and um, so we started with looking at. Yes, no, getting an appropriate yes, no. We started with the alternative pencil. We started with eye gaze. And then, and through all of that, we were working on access, right? Mm -hmm. And we were also working on getting her, um, getting her a robust communication system as well. Um, and she taught me so much because there were, there was a couple months there where we were really, I was so focused on getting her access that I was forgetting to give her literacy, mm -hmm. that our time together was so focused on the AT and it wasn't focused on the instruction. And I was, you know, I've read this book, um, Comprehensive Literacy for All by Karen Erickson and David Copenhagen. <laughs> on my second or third read. And I just had this light bulb moment. Like, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. Like I we're, we're working on access. She's there. She's bored. She's like, uh, you know, she'll do it for a little bit and then be like, ah, I'm done with you people. And it wasn't until I just said, okay, speechy. I love you. OT. I love you. We, we need, we need a different way to go about it. She is talking. Mm -hmm. She is telling us that I am screwing up and I need to hear her and I need to listen to her. And so she just became that kiddo that taught me like, as an assistive technology specialist, that's what I go towards first. And I had to step away from that. And I had to go to my teaching part first. I had to be like, let's bring in this literacy. Let's include her in this comprehensive literacy instruction. And when we did that and had her eye gaze, we went from having, so we did four quadrants and we just had four letters and that clearly was not enough for her. And mm -hmm. so we ended up going to the whole alphabet right away. Mm -hmm. We used, um, we used the, uh, the, the eye gaze board, and I knew I was going to forget it from the alternative pencil from mm -hmm. Karen Erickson's, um, from what is it? I'm going to space it, literacy and disability uh -huh. studies at UC Chapel Hill. Anyway, so yeah. we use that. And so being able to quickly learn how to go to the quadrant for the first letter, then go to the color she wanted to tell us which letter, I mean, just became, um, it happened so fast and it really, she really taught me that through this process, like we need to be teaching and we cannot wait for access. We can't wait for any of that. We just need to get going. You needed that, that, that so alphabet. Yeah, it's so mm -hmm. critical though, because I think those with complex physical needs, we get really caught up in a... Um, a first then let's figure out their access method and then we'll teach them. And, you know, when we were doing the podcast on leaders and change makers, Michelle Bishop was saying they're never going to, some of these kids never master beyond about 80% of their access method, you know? And if we had waited for 90%, if we had waited for us, some magical percentile, we never would have achieved it. And we, and, and then we, he would have missed out on all the instruction. And it, I think it's so important. And I also love what you said about, you can kind of get caught up in the technology. Oh, let's try this thing. And let's try this thing. And let's try that thing. I mean, depending on what your tendency is, right. If you, if you lean toward technology, you can also lose focus on what you're doing. So yeah, it sounds like I love how you phrased it. You know, they teach us more than we teach them for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is our jobs as therapists, as specialists, as even admin coming in, but as teachers, it is our job to, to teach our students. It is not their job to learn how we teach. Like we need to figure out how they learn, not the other way right. around. 
And, you know, I, I've had students like Callie throughout my life. Um, every year there's one, but that was, it was like during while I'm reading the Comprehensive Literacy for All, and we're really working hard and I'm super excited and we're going to figure out this access and we're going to give a robust communication. And I'm like, whoa, 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 we need to, we need to do and, and also, mm-hmm. right? We need mm-hmm. both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it can be overwhelming um, figuring out how to start. I love how you said like on your third or fourth read of the book, because it's such a good book and there's so much to it. And then different students make you think of different things and you get super excited about one area and and it's that and, right? And there's so yeah. many pieces yeah. together. So you kind of, so you mentioned um, like the student as the focus of the work and learning from the student sounds like, um, uh, you know, a, a guiding principle we should all have when we're going through literacy or communication or education, right? Um, right. What are some other guiding principles that you've learned along the way as far as uh, literacy? Well, I think I talked about just not taking yourself too seriously and making mistakes, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. I I think, I, I, I don't know if you guys um, joined the Literacy Summit that uh, that was held um, just a couple of weeks. Was it last week with um, Utopia? But David Copenhagen, yep, from yes. Building Wings. Yeah, I loved and David his, his yeah. keynote. Yes, his keynote was amazing. And there were a couple times where I almost spit my water across the room while I was listening to it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm glad I, the video is not on because, like, <laughs> that's amazing. I'm glad he said that uh-huh. out loud. So. Um, But one of the things that he said was start with it all and make mistakes. And, you know, I kind of was like, you know, that's really Mm -hmm. hard for me to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but I I see that and, but it can be overwhelming. So I feel like it has to be and start with it all. But if it is too overwhelming, don't stop. Start with what you can do, right? Start with right. an important piece. And, you know, for me, um, I think that that comprehension schema, background knowledge, that's so critical when we're working with AAC students and AAC users. Um, and then also um, that writing. I love that writing piece. It just makes me makes me giddy when I start working with kids and we start writing and it's their first experience. So um, I think some guiding principles that have really been with me through the whole time is that presumed potential and which leads into like Caroline Musselwhite says that leads into that presumed competence. And um, I believe with that though, it is just not talking that talk. It like, what does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that mean? When you're like, well, I presume potential and I presume competence and people like I've seen, and I've worked with so many lovely individuals that really also have that guiding principle. And I'm like, this is going to be great. But then I don't see the walk. I don't see the actual do of what that looks like. And I think that's it as well. That's like, for me, simple words are like, do you just have to do, you have to start, you have to do, you have to be the person that does it because no one else is coming into your classroom or into your therapy room to do this work. You're the one who has to do it. And it's hard and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to have to just be okay. You have to be okay with that. And also reflective. Like I think that teaching is one of those, is one of those fields where you have to reflect on every lesson that you do and um and reassess and figure out where do you go next and how do you and how do you do that i think another guiding principle that has stayed with me is i always start with strengths and so for me building a strength based iep is 
is really the foundation for everyone, for the whole team um, to be around and understand like here are, our, we know we're here. We know we're here for the deficits. We know that there, we wouldn't have an IEP without that. We know that we're working on things, but where are we going to start? Where are their strengths? And building from those strengths, I get so much further, so quick, so much faster than if I were to do a deficit-based model. So I'm always looking for their strengths. And that might just be like my last student that I had um, that came in right at the end of the school year this year, um, been out from COVID for three years, tough go, had, had, had some language, had some AAC, came with nothing. It was all gone. And so where were, where were we at? Well, she had, um, she was, oh gosh, and now I'm going to forget the, the word. She was able to track right? And she was able to have joint attention. Mm -hmm. And so for us, I mean, everyone's like, oh, it's just, I'm like, no, that is a huge strength. Mm -hmm. Joint attention. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had three kids in middle school that didn't have joint attention when I started at the beginning of the school year. It's hard to do a literacy lesson when no one's paying attention to you. (laughs) And no one's paying attention to the literacy. So joint attention, like that's a huge strength. And that's what we're going to start. And we are going to make goals that are smart. We're going to make goals that incorporate AAC right into them. We're going to make goals that then start with that strength for everyone. And we are going to then, and if we we have to come back in six months because she blows us out of the water with these goals and she meets them. Awesome. That's great. I will rewrite an IEP, but I need to start with those strengths. And I think that that is, that's a huge piece because no one wants to be and start working on things that are yucky and hard and that they're not good at, you know? So we have to start with kids where they're at and, and then bring them in shape, you know, that behavior, that skill, whatever we're working on. So I feel like that's just reading human nature. Like those, Mm -hmm. like anything you're trying to learn, if you're not already have about 50% of the skills required. If you're starting at zero, you don't have the confidence that you're going to get to anywhere on that scale. Right. So that you start with some recognizable skills, what we're working with, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, the thing about presumed competences, I, I always think that I do, right. I mean, we've been, I always think I presume that kids can do lots of things. And then, um, I, and I have had people do what you said. Oh, we presume competence. We presume potential. We, we, you know, and then you look at their device and their device has four buttons on it. And you're like, okay, so you're, you presume competence at four buttons. Right. This doesn't look like presume potential for robust language. And exactly. it's like, that's, those are different things. Likewise with literacy you presume potential to learn 20 sight words, but you're not presuming potential for independent reading and writing. I mean, you know, right. So it's like, we all have these levels of presumption and, and some of it's disability based. Some of it is, um, you know, age, some of it's, you know, different things that we consider to be limitations. So I think it's always good, no matter where you are in your career, to gut check, where are my presumptions still limiting my instruction? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that, you know, I I, I feel that the people that, that everyone that says, you know, presume potential, that they believe that in their heart, that yeah. the problem is, is they're just not quite sure what to do with that and where to start. And these kids are, you know, they, they have challenges. And I just... I've never found it difficult to um, do the do, right? To do Mm -hmm. the action of that presumption, of presuming that confidence and to build that foundation. When I start with a, when I start where where they're at and where their strengths are, and then we go from there. And I find that 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 recipe becomes um, becomes successful for 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 my students, for the my staff. 
path and the people around me, because what ends up happening is we start seeing, we start seeing progress, right? right? We start being able to take data. We start being able to measure mm-hmm. and know where we were and then to see where we're going. And, you know, I also, I, I, don't believe in, and this has been a struggle for some of the people that I worked with in the past, but, um, I love it when the therapists come into my room and we co teach and we co we first, we co plan, we co teach, we do a, um, wrap around IP where, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to write a, um, I'm not going to write like a social pragmatic goal without my speech and language pathologist. Like right. it's not separate. I've seen right. Mm-hmm. I've seen so many IEPs where this, you know, the the um SEB goal, the social emotional behavioral goal is gonna, you know, the student will have two exchanges with a friend. And I'm like, wait a minute, but they're only at one with the, the speech and language goal. Like we, you know, we have to we have to talk to each other, we mm-hmm. have to coordinate, we have to write these goals in this IEP that's a wraparound, and why I think that's so important is because it gives us that foundation to start with, with, with our students in that school-based setting. Mm-hmm. I think that that's huge. I think and, another, yeah. Well, I just want to ask you about that. So, um, <clears throat> you know, you said like for maybe for teachers when you're just starting and I'm thinking of our listeners who are new and they're thinking like, okay, mm-hmm. we're, I'm so excited about this and I want to get in. And you said, just, you just kind of have to start, right. Just get in there and make mistakes yeah. and do it. But what about for like you were saying, getting their therapy, your OT and your SLP on board. What about for those teachers who are all in and they've read the book and they're excited to go and the SLP and the OT or some, you know, the therapists are kind of like, oh, I don't know. I think I might do my own thing over here. Like, would you have any advice about, about getting some buy-in with, with other teammates? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, it's hard. Our jobs are hard. Our jobs are hard with the, our student population. And then, you know, as a special education teacher running a K-12 or a K-5 classroom or an elementary or middle school classroom, like I'm not just in charge of my students. I'm also in charge of the paraeducators. Mm-hmm. So right. special education teachers, they just don't have their caseload. They also have their one-on-one paras that they're in charge of. So, mm-hmm. you know, at, at one point I had... 10 kids on my caseload and I had 10 one-on-one paraeducators to wow. work on as well. So mm-hmm. getting that buy-in, you know, again, this is, and what I've learned is there are just, there are just some that it's just, it's hard and that may not happen. And so you just do your best and you do what you know it is right for kids and you just show because what will happen, and this has happened time and time again, the proof is in the pudding, you start doing the work, our students start showing and becoming successful within what we're doing. And so they're like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, hang on a second. Oh, let me come back over to you. I want to do this too. Yeah, Yeah. I want to do this too. Show me how you did that. Oh, how can you do that? And just always having the door open and having kindness around that. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though when you're frustrated and you're like, oh, I really wish they could be here, you know, like, Like just having, keeping that door open, I think is huge. And then doing what you know is right and what you know is good for kids. And, um, and then showing that because, you know, I've had, I've had lots of really tough, um, situations where I come in and I've come in multiple times, as I mentioned before, into different districts. And, you know, they have their set way of doing things. They've had their set things. These para, the parents have been there for you know a long time they've been with this student for three years and so then you know who am I to come in and start shaking things up and that can be hard and so it's starting with a conversation and I always and this is kind of goes back to like a little bit of a guiding principle like I never I have high high expectations for my students and for my for my staff but I will never never expect them to do something that I haven't taught them what to do right so then we go to that gradual release of responsibility I do we do you do and I'm always there and the conversations are always to be like what can I do for you what how can I help you what is what's a place that you're struggling with what can we do 
I also try to look at it as a UDL type approach when I'm also teaching and paraeducators and I try to create, um, I, you know, we do in-person, but then I also love to grab and create a Google Classroom where it's just teaching um, for my paraeducators where I can throw up videos and I can throw up webinars and I can um, throw uh, visual aids and um, visual supports that we have for um, everyone in the classroom that they can go to then on their mm -hmm. time that they have. I don't expect them to do it independently and on, on you know, non-contracted time, but if they have an interest or they like, hey, we can't meet right. this week because there's a snow day, but you still have an hour, you know, go and do this learning and, and then let's come back and have a conversation about that. And let's try to implement some of these things. And, and then I'm always modeling, always, always, always modeling, modeling for my students in AAC, modeling for my students in literacy, modeling for my students in writing. And then that also is modeled to my parents. And so what I do at them is, is for them to be very observant. Like when I am modeling this for the student, I'm also modeling this for you. So we're going to talk about what this looks like and then uh -huh. how can we implement that in when you're working with them when I'm with a different group of kids. So I have found that that has worked. Um, you know, this year I had a pretty, I had, I had, I had a, his name's Dave and he and I have talked and he was my paraeducator. And in the beginning of the year, I'm like, oh boy, this is, this is going to be, this is, this is a doozy. So uh, <laughs> we started out and did that process, had the conversations, put in comprehensive literacy for all implemented that and at the end when I told them that I was leaving the district because I'm moving on to do something else and he it was like I just have to thank you because I didn't know he told me he's like I didn't know that they could do literacy I didn't know that it was possible I didn't know that any of these things were here he's like now you've taught me, we can't go back. He's like, so right. you have it set up for the next teacher, right? They're going to continue this, yeah. right? Because yeah. I want to make sure that our students have this, even though you're not going to be here. And I'm like, oh yeah, don't worry. I printed out like three units. They're ready to go. <laughs> they have awesome. their classrooms are set. So that was like, to me, a huge win to have a very reluctant um Para, who was the you know, best heart and had been with his student for years and was just like, oh, great, here's another one that's going to come in and tell, mm -hmm. tell me what to do. And, um, but yeah, so that was really, that just, that was really powerful. And I, I appreciated his words at the end. For those yeah, that that's don't so know what UDL is, it's Universal Design right. for Learning. And so we are often talking about almost always talking about universal design for learning with students. But what you're saying, Sharon, is like, that's just learning in general. And so what yeah. you're saying is like, you're providing more than one way to okay. learn how to provide literacy instruction. And that's yeah. so dynamic because it's like, if you learn by reading, here's something to read. If you learn yes. by writing, um, give, tell me what you do in this situation. If you learn by watching, then here's video and here's a model from me. And here's, you know, if you learn, if you're an auditory processor, let's talk about what you just saw. Like being yeah. available to provide universal design for learning for adults as a, yes. I mean, we've gotten good at talking about and implementing for for um, students, but I think you make a really good point. And what you what the result of universal design for learning in this area was basically a mindset shift mm -hmm. was absolutely required. And that's what's required for all of our students. The students have to believe that they're readers and writers. And so do, so do the adults mm -hmm. around them. And right. so the mindset is the powerful piece that actually creates change, but that starts by, you know, modeling and providing instruction in, in enough ways that every ad person, student or adult starts to see the magic. Well, and then having those multiple means of expression as well. So, all right, like you mentioned, okay, let's have a conversation about this. Or do you want to write to me about that? I mean, I, all of my paras have text. Do you want to text me about and have a conversation that way? The other piece that I found is really like people want to have 
everyone does. I think this is just human nature, pride in what they do. Mm -hmm. And so then also looking at not just the strengths of my students, but looking at the strengths of my paras and saying, hey, I noticed that you really are kind of, you're really pinning on this one area and you seem to have some passion around that. Would you like to run our next PD on that? You know, when our PLC, would you like to talk a little bit about that? Or, hey, I noticed that this was something you were excited about. Would you um, want to, uh, could you be there while I take some videos? So the next time I do a webinar, I can highlight this because I see what you're doing is really amazing. And highlighting and having success and celebrating that success Oh my gosh. I mean, we all like, I give myself a little pat on the back once in a while, but we all want to have that success, not just for our students, but for ourselves as well. So I feel that that just goes such a long way in celebrating um, the people in your room and making a team and a cohesive family of what that looks like. So you can start having this dance where then I don't even have to say any words. You know that I need the pencil because I have put it down in five different places and I can't find it, right? You know that I'm like, where are Sharon's glasses? Because I have five mm-hmm. pairs on my head, but I can't seem to find a pair, right? <laughs> like that dance starts happening and students then benefit, right? They, I, I'm just one person, right? Having everyone in the room, being a cohesive team, having your OT, your PT, your speech, having everyone, there that is really diving in and having that foundation and doing this dance becomes such a magical, beautiful thing for Mm. our students and our students then flourish because they just don't have one person that's doing something separate. They have everyone there together and that just becomes um, magical. Some Mm -hmm. of my favorites. Well, it sounds like, it sounds like there's a real shared respect, you know, with between you and the parents and the therapist and then you and the students and then the families with your mm-hmm. um, based IEPs, you know, that yeah. I, I'm sure family members enjoy that type of IEP meeting with you because of I that. I think so. The feedback that, that I've gotten. Yeah. yeah. I have been that, you know, that I keep them nice and short because we don't need to be having three hour IEP meetings, you know, like, yeah, Keep, yeah. keep it nice and short and keep it with the strengths and where are we going from there? And I think that's, that's huge. You know, I think another piece um, to working with, and, and I've noticed this in the different, like I started in early childhood, went to elementary and then into middle high school and that whole idea of, and sometimes having hard conversations can be well, it can be hard, right? I, I don't shy away from them, but they're hard. And I think one of the other pieces that is really helpful and um, is that being age respectful around materials and around things. And I think that's what comprehensive literacy is so beautiful at doing, um, especially with some of the programs that are out there. So, you know, for example, building wings and creating authentic text and from, you know, um, anchoring it to authentic literature, like, because like I said earlier, go dog go, it's super easy, right? It, to me, like for early childhood, but mm-hmm. my reader doesn't want to be go dog go. Right. They don't, they don't want to be part of that. So how do you do car in the crowd with Romeo and Juliet? Right. How do you, how do you do emergent literature? and emergent writing, you know, with Sacagawea and the, you know, Westward expansion, like which every Washington fourth or um, seventh grade student has to be a part of. How do you, how do you, how do you do that? Right. And I think mm-hmm. that, that's the tough bit. And um, yeah, I'm excited, especially for the unlocking literacy modules that you guys are doing to be able to show some videos that take people from that elementary and then the middle of high school and level on on like how do you do the do, right? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you put that walk behind your I presume potential speech? Right. right. I know because Sharon, I want to just have a video in your classroom so I can see all the things like you mentioned, like the lessons that, you know, you were talking about and I want to see what those lessons look like. So yeah, that, that, with those modules, we're hoping to 
to kind of take a peek into some classrooms and mm -hmm. and say, this is how you can do some of this. It's not the only way to do it, but it might give you some ideas. So we're excited that you're going to be sharing what you do in that way too. Yeah. yeah, I think anchoring that learning, like, you know, we can, we have all this learning, we have the book, but then transferring that, it's like going from that research to practice. What is that? actually look like right in the classroom okay great you taught me about the alternative pencil how does it actually look like with an eighth grader right right and who doesn't care and has never experienced letters and has never experienced that age appropriateness of having independent writing activity and then so many times we can say well did did she really do that or did that really actually happen? And really what you end up seeing is that if you can take that data and you can start seeing those patterns, right? Because this stuff doesn't happen the first time we do it. It doesn't. It doesn't happen the second. It doesn't happen in the first year, maybe even. Right. Maybe it's year two or year three that we're mm -hmm. looking at making that difference, but those subtle changes. And I think that that's why it's so important, again, to go back to that strength. Where are they? Because sometimes we're measuring you know, just very incremental steps. And it's important for us to know where we're, where we're at, where we start and then where we can go. But um, yeah, I think walking that walk is hard if you don't know what it looks like or right. feels like or sounds mm -hmm. like. And I think that those videos, even my videos that are like, oh, good golly, Miss Molly, that is not, it, um, can be, can be really, in, you know, I, I, I have to say, I'm, I feel a little brave when I put them out there because yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get, I'm mm -hmm. going to get so much feedback. I'm like, oh my word, Redmond, what are you doing? So, no, um, yeah, we... but I mean, it is, it's, it's, that's, it's just a space where you have to be confident enough to be able to say, Hey, you know, there are so many things that I could have done wrong as a teacher, you are doing all these pieces are coming together and you're synthesizing everything in the moment and right. trying to make it. And sometimes it just doesn't work. And I don't think there's anybody out there doing it perfectly. Right. What would that yeah. look like? <laughs> no, right. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to connect all that great work that you guys have done and then see the connection on, okay, so what does that mean for this learner? What would that look like for who is, um, has low vision or low hearing? What does that look like in a classroom that's K-5? What does that look like in a classroom that's 6-8, you know? Um, in high school, how does, how do we, how do you, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. um, feel like and how can you experience that so I'm excited yeah. for that so Sharon you said that you are leaving your classroom I so am. what are what are your next steps tell us what, what well um yeah so the journey continues in learning for me so I um have been accepted into Penn State and uh, working in so um, on my PhD in special education, and I'm also part of the AAC Leadership Project, which is a, which is a federal grant um, that helps teach. Uh, you I, the purpose of it is to help um, create university professors that have knowledge in AAC and assistive technology, and mm -hmm. to be able then to teach our pre-service teachers how to do that. I don't actually know what I want to do when I grow up yet. So I don't know if that's going to be the path, but I do know that I have so much more to learn. And I just felt like I had gotten to a level that I could get to by myself. Um, and, you know, I could read this book six or seven more times, but I feel like I, I just needed that next piece. And so I'm going to be working with David McNaughton. He's my, Dr. McNaughton is my um, advisor and working with Janice Light and um, Teresa Wilkinson and like all these names. I'm like, lucky so you. Excited. Yeah. Yeah. So Such I got a, a full scholarship, program. fully paid funded. Um, wow. Mission. So yeah, so we're moving. Boxes are packed. I'm surrounded by like half empty house and so, so we take off for, um, we take off here in a couple of weeks and start my journey on, yeah, as a PhD student at Penn State. That's so exciting.
exciting. It's such a great program. And what is this the second cohort or? I think this will be the third cohort for the AAC project. Well, I applied a few years ago and, you know, things at first, there wasn't funding and things weren't happening. But anyway, so now it is. And uh, I really, what it really came down to is I didn't want want my retirement plan to be paying back student loans. So because I'm in my 50s. So going back to school to get your doctorate, like, I'm going to be with all these kids that are, you know, just coming (laughs) out of their master's from their undergrad. And so we will see, we will see how that goes. But I'm excited. Oh, we can't wait to hear what you learn. I know, yeah, Sharon. Sure. I just I feel like I need to say thank you for your service because I do I feel like you've contributed in so many ways to the advancement of the field, in particular AAC, assistive technology and literacy. And you're still going. And that's inspiring. Well, mm-hmm. there's so much more to learn. And I mean, I'm really exciting, excited. I'm gonna be working. Um, with the RERC um, in the AAC Language Lab um, through Penn and working on their VSDs, um, visual scene displays, and um, which I, if you go onto their site, there's they have it into three sections. And so I'm going to be working, my understanding is the R1, but we'll see when I actually get to, you know, Penn State, see how that goes. But I'm I'm excited for that and to bring the, the, the piece that's hard for me is being out of the classroom. So when I said, like, I don't want to know, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up, that's it. Mm-hmm. I, I I may want to come back to the classroom. I may mm-hmm. want to, um, you know, but I also see the power in this pre-service teaching and making sure that mm-hmm. our teachers have what they need to mm-hmm. be successful, to do that do, to say, mm-hmm. I presume, I believe all means all. I believe our students can learn to read and write, but then be able to give them what does that look like and the do right. and how to start and where to go from there. Mm-hmm. And how to be age respectful and not have preschool toys in a middle school classroom. That would be right. really great. So right. Right. I'm on a mission for that. Yeah. I threw them all out <laughs> when I got there this year. I'm like, why are there preschool toys in the middle school classroom. We can do the right. same work with age respectful materials. Right. But, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're, so if people are interested in learning about comprehensive literacy for all book, get it, buy it. Um, yes. But also you'll be doing a book study. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So um, for the Central Washington um, University and SETSI has the um, special education tech center. So I'm going to be working and doing the um, comprehensive literacy for all book study, which is going to be a free book study. Um, and we're doing it throughout the whole year, this whole school year, 23-24 school year. So I'm not sure when this podcast will air, but if you miss one, don't worry, jump in. Um, we're kind of mixing it up this year as well, where um, instead of going chronologically in order, what we're doing is we have cre- we've taken um, emer- like for an example, writing, we've taken the emergent writing and, co- and the conventional writing chapters, and we are putting them together because so often our classrooms, um, I love how Lisa Warren, um, talks about this. She's like, and how I experience it. I don't get to say, I'm only going to teach emergent readers, right? I'm only going to have emergent users in my classroom. That doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. We have emergent and conventional kiddos in our classroom. And then we have, like, I taught first through um, fifth grade, then in middle school with sixth through eighth grade. So we have these spans of kids and spans of grades and spans of users that and learners that we we have to be prepared for. Mm-hmm. And so we really wanted to take that and look at it as um, a teaching and model based on that. So let's look at the book and let's look and have conversations based on, okay, you have a classroom and you have 12 students on your caseload, hopefully. (laughs) And then you are, and then you have emergent and conventional readers in and emergent AAC learners and users. And then, um, you know, traditional speaking students in your in your classroom. And so what does that look like? And how do you have, so how do we have those conversations around that? So I'm excited to be able to kind of mix it up a little bit and see how that yeah. goes. Yeah, that sounds really good. And sounds like a really fun conversation. And um, 
So that will be on the Special Tech Center website and it's in yes. webinar webinars, right? So Yep, yep. They're live. And so we're gonna be doing them, you know, synchronous learning and live. So we'll read the book and then we'll come together and we'll have a uh, discussion about what that looks like and we'll have some guiding questions. So um, maybe a couple guest speakers, maybe I can convince the two of you to come on and have some mm -hmm. guests, to, you know, um, definitely having those stories, right? That's, yeah. that's, that's mm -hmm. what we need. We need, we need so many different perspectives from the team and having different stories and what that yeah. looks like so that we can really understand what that do means and that, and that looks like. So, right. yeah. And then I'm also, um, I'll be at Closing the Gap this year with Kelly Connor, um, uh, we're doing a pre-conference session on looking at um, VSDs, video scene displays, and visual scene displays, and kind of the trifecta of how that can benefit your learners with literacy and comprehensive literacy. Mm -hmm. um, with one of my favorite stories, can I do I have do we have enough time to add yeah. one more? Story? So one yeah. of my favorite stories from this year is I had a learner who. Um, only, only would look at the iPad, like no joint attention to me at all. So I took the iPad, I put it on the video mode. I put the iPad on a stand and had the, had his para move it. So it was following me as I was teaching and we were reading so that he would, so that he would participate in the literacy experience. And it worked? It totally worked. Oh, yeah. Wow. He was in the, in the most, um, sustained, uh, um, attention to wow. us was during the time. It was pretty brilliant. Anyway, wow. we just have to be so looking at in our thinking. Yeah, you just have to like, where are they again, right? Mm -hmm. Where are they? Mm -hmm. And start from there. So that kind of trifecta. How can you? How can you use that video modeling and video, which we know all of our kids are very into, and it is a very. Uh, exciting thing to use and to be a part of. So um, for literacy, for behavior, for communication. So how can we use that to um, increase our students' skills in AAC, in literacy, and some behavioral techniques? So I'm excited for that. I'm um, also doing one on AI, which we will see. I just yeah, doing I'm doing just a one hour session and I I kind of built it. And then now I'm like, I'm gonna have to rebuild it. And right. I'm like, I might as well not even do it because I should just wait until like the week before because everything's right. changing and it's just happening. Just so have fast. your AI build it. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, but the power exciting. that I feel that is coming from that technology for especially for accommodations for our students yeah. is yeah. just huge. Our para, my paras would use that. They'd be in the science classroom. Be like, okay, I need to make this information at their reading level, copy, pasted it in, bam, spit it out, put it there, made a closed reading activity for them for it. That was their assignment. And I, all of it happened within seconds. And that was just so powerful for not wow. only my paras, to see that there's are that they just weren't there copying notes for our students. Right, and right. They were mm -hmm. actually creating on the fly, real time access to the content that the students were using in the Please classroom. The content and vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. So cool. The effect of AI is gonna be, you know, exponential. So I'm excited to every probably every closing the gap in HEIA you'd need to go to another AI class because of what can change right. every six months in that field. So that's- I exciting. know, I know I'm on a couple of Facebook groups and every time I get a notification, I'm like, well, that's not going to go in there. What I thought I was going to do last week, like now there's something new. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so I'm just going to wait for a while and see how that goes. But right. Well, that's yeah. exciting. You've got a lot on your plate and- yeah. Um, like Brenda said, you've, you've already done a lot for the field and it's been so fun to hear from you and we really want to hear more. So I'm excited to yeah. look at the modules, yeah. about all your trainings and <clears throat> just to hit on that and that the idea of, you know, just the words that we even say, you know, like, I think that little word do is so important. I kept coming back to that, but even like the idea of 
saying maybe. Like, I think the biggest words out of the comprehensive literacy for all book for me was the idea of like, I'm going to say this out loud and you say it to yourself. Like that just blew my head away. And this idea of, well, maybe you were thinking this, or maybe you were looking at that tree in the background. Maybe, I'm not sure, but let's explore that a little bit. I just think that there's just so much that we can talk about on just small words like do and maybe. And I wonder mm-hmm. if. I wonder if. Yeah. Exactly. Give a whole list of, of words that people, they could just put that in to their repertoire of what that looks like to start with. I think that could be, it's, it's just so powerful. Right. It, it like screams that. to our students and it screams to everybody in the classroom. I believe in you and right. I believe in the potential that you have and the comp. And I believe that you are competent to learn how to read and write and you have that ability. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Sharon, thank you so much for your time, for your expertise, for your stories, for your passion, for your um, moving forward. Um, we are so grateful that you took the time to talk to us today. Well, so fun. It's my favorite topic and you two are just delightful. So I'm excited and I, <laughs> I'm excited that hopefully we get to work together and do some projects together in the future. Yes, yeah, definitely. Sounds Thank good. You. Thanks, Sharon. Thank you.